Last week's podcast was titled Blind Spots. We talked about how, much like driving on the highway, our personal and professional lives can get caught in the trap of blind spots. If you haven't heard it yet, pause and give it a listen. It provides a meaningful backdrop for today's message, Deconstructive Criticism. This is Rich, and it's time to revive your work. So last week, we discussed how to recognize and overcome personal and professional blind spots. We need blind spotters. Blind spotters provide us the perspective we need when our own behavior or habits are getting us stuck. Blind spotters provide us with the encouragement to do more and give more than we think we can. Now, a common theme with recognizing and overcoming blind spots is feedback, whether it's gaining a new perspective or undoing limited thinking. Feedback is critical. All feedback is not the same. Today, let's discuss why most feedback fails and how you can be a powerful feedback provider. First, let's start by busting up some old programming that's getting in our way. It has stood the test of time. It's a crowd favorite in the workplace and in the home. And it's never fun to hear. Let me give you some constructive criticism. Let's reflect on the meaning of the words. Constructive means to build up. Criticism means to tear down. They cannot coexist. They're antonyms. Let's call it what it is. Deconstructive criticism. Deconstructive criticism is common in our personal and professional lives. It's slung around without much skill or consideration. It has the feel of a drive-by shooting. Ultimately, deconstructive criticism leaves the provider feeling superior and the receiver feeling diminished. And it's what gives the process of feedback a stigma. Instead, let's consider constructive coaching for our feedback methodology. Those two words, constructive, again, meaning to build up, and coaching, meaning to provide instruction or teaching, they align perfectly. So let's talk about what makes constructive coaching the most effective form of feedback, particularly when it comes to blind spots. Relationship and process. Let's start with relationship. Years ago, I wrote a blog about the importance of having a social support network. In it, I mentioned that even the Lone Ranger wasn't alone, he had Tonto. Since my publishing strength has never been spelling, 
I wrote the Lone Ranger as L-O-A-N Ranger. Get it? So, shortly after releasing the blog, I received some feedback. One particular gentleman wrote this. Rich, I receive your blogs from my wife. She regularly forwards them to me. Today, I noticed, unless your ranger works at the bank, you probably meant L-O-N-E, ranger. Looking back, here's what catches my attention. The feedback that he provided was correct. My spelling was indeed wrong. Yet, it's my response caught my attention. I remember pushing my chair back and standing up from my computer. I began to pace back and forth in my office, spouting out all kinds of angry adjectives. I couldn't figure out why this guy had the nerve to email me about my mistake, as if He had personally attacked me. Flash forward to this year. Another weekly blog goes out. This time, I get a reply from Jen Thomas. Here's a side note. Google Dr. Jennifer Thomas and her book, When Sorry Isn't Enough. It is a great book for customer service teams on how to scientifically and emotionally apologize in order to win customers back. Great tool. Okay, so Jen Thomas, she's a longtime friend and colleague. She regularly reads our blogs and provides specific praise and encouragement. This time, she helped me out with my spelling. In a phrase I wrote, to pique your interest, I spelled peak P-E-A-K, like a mountaintop. Not recognizing that that word peak is spelled P-I-Q-U-E. So she pointed out the mistake and provided the correct spelling. Then I noticed how different my response was. You see, Jen was vested in me, not a stranger, not somebody that received the blog secondhand who had never reached out in any other way than to point out an error. Over the years, she had taken the time to get to know me. We had worked together and we had developed a mutually respectful relationship. Not so with this other gentleman. If you care enough to provide feedback to someone, then you care enough to develop a relationship with that person first. That's your prerequisite. The presence or absence of a relationship significantly impacts the level of receptivity. If you're wondering if that's true or not, ask yourself, who is someone I am open to receiving feedback from? It will be someone who values you and who's demonstrated that value in you, someone you trust. Resist the temptation to be a drive-by criticizer. Second, 
process. Powerful coaching begins by asking rather than telling. The coach believes that the coachee has good answers within them, and it's their role to help them figure out what they already know. It takes more time than simply telling a person what you think they should do. The if I were you method is rarely founded on a mutually respectful relationship, and it isn't an effective process. Here's what we use we use the GROW coaching model. GROW, G R O W, is an acronym. Let's go through them. Goal. Goal is the first step of any coaching process because it answers the question, what do you want to accomplish? It's a way to find out what they want to achieve. What's the goal they're after? What's their ideal destination? A good coach will ensure that the coachee is clear or does the work to get clear on what they want to accomplish. No goal. No coaching journey. It's that simple. R, reality. So reality uncovers where a person is now in relation to their goal. In other words, what's your current reality based on your ideal destination? Where are you today in relation to your ideal outcome? Options. That's where we discussed the question, if you could do anything to move towards your goal, what would you do? So once you have the coordinates, the key coordinates of goal and current reality, you've got to discover the potential routes that will help the person get to their destination, draw closer to it. What are those potential options? And lastly, W way forward. This is when you consider the options and determine which ones make the most sense to act upon. This step gives a person traction and holds them accountable to taking action. So the presence of a relationship and a process are clear differentiators between deconstructive criticism and constructive coaching. Here's another difference that makes for a positive outcome. Time. Deconstructive criticism can be performed in a matter of seconds. Not so with constructive coaching. If you're not willing to make a time investment in a person or yourself, this is not for you. Then release the idea that you should be a feedback provider. We could all use more coaching interactions at home and work. They require strong relationships and an effective process. These types of interactions involve thoughtfulness and skill. Constructive coaching leaves the provider and the receiver feeling stronger and more energized. Small shift, significant difference. Give it a try. If you'd find value in an additional weekly dose of encouragement, visit reviveyourwork.com backslash blog. That's reviveyourwork.com backslash blog. Or text 
REVIVE, R-E-V-I-V-E, to 33777. Consider subscribing to Revive Your Work in your favorite podcast platform and give us a like or leave a comment. That means a lot to us. We'll see you next week as we continue our conversation that transcends the blurred lines between our personal and professional lives. 